What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and I'm back with another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. It's Tuesday, so you know what that means. It's another episode of Hey, Chris. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. You ready, Chris? Let's do it, Ethan. All righty. First question comes from David from New York. What types of players are the Cavs looking for before the trade deadline? Are they going to make any trades or ride it out with this roster the whole season? I mean, they've got to be really, really careful here, Ethan. And it's something that multiple people that I've talked to around the NBA have brought up in conversations with the Cavs. Obviously, there's a sense that the Cavs like what they have, and they can look at Darius Garland and Evan Mobley as their reintegration into this system, into this lineup as kind of like midseason pickups because they just haven't had these guys for much of the year. So it wouldn't be wrong for them to look at both Darius and Evan coming back and saying, like, that's our big addition at the quote unquote trade deadline. At the same time, like this is an aggressive front office. They do feel like they could boost their depth, maybe provide a little bit more insurance behind some of the guys that they already have. But look, they've won 14 of 15. They've got the best road record in the NBA. They're 19 and four since December 16th. They're second in the Eastern Conference. This is one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. This is one of the best teams in the NBA over the last almost two months. That's a really, really long stretch for a team to be playing really good basketball. So it's a delicate situation, and the Cavs have to be really, really careful about if you're going to disrupt your rhythm, if you're going to disrupt your flow, if you're going to trade guys that matter behind the scenes and off the court, it has to be a deal that's worth it. And I just find it hard to believe that the Cavs are going to be able, given the limited assets that they have, that the Cavs are going to be able to find a deal that they'll deem is worth it. It's not to say that other teams don't want what they have, but it it can't be a lateral move. It has to be a step forward type move for the Cavs. And I'm just having a hard time piecing something together that is going to bring that kind of addition at the trade deadline. If they do make a move, like I think it's what we've talked about a number of different times, Ethan. I think it's trying to find a 3 and D type player, a win now, help now, somebody that can go in the rotation, that can knock down threes, play some defense, fit into this offense and not have a significant role in terms of volume, in terms of touches, in terms of usage, because bringing that kind of guy in midseason, there's just not room on this roster for that kind of guy. So it has to be a complementary type piece or a specialist. Yeah, Chris, and we've talked about it multiple times on this podcast that this team's success has been because of the growth they've been able to make with each other. They've been able to learn the schemes. They've been able to learn each other and grow within themselves. And they talked about it tonight. Like if they were to change anything about this team, it would have an effect on what they've created. Like this team, you look back to the earlier in the season, they had new pieces and that was the hardest thing was figuring out how everybody was going to fit where they needed to. Now you have this group of guys where you can go to the starting lineup, the second rotation, whatever you might need, and they have confidence in each and every guy because of the minutes that they've gotten over the season. And 
you look at if you were to add somebody else in, unless that guy is somebody that they have known for years, like that they can just plug and play into an exact replica of somebody else, then sure. But I think this team right now and playing as well as they are doesn't want to switch anything up to make sure that they continue on the path that they're on, especially talking about ahead of the all-star break and then going into the second half push. Next question, Chris. Jared Allen might be the most relatable Cavalier with his love for Pokemon and random conversation topics. Are there any other players who have a nostalgic love for any video games or other media, and how passionate are they talking about it? Nobody that really stands out to me. Isaac Okoro is somebody who's really, really into TV shows and really into movies. He also loves football and other sports and things like that. But but I think Jared is one of one, and, and his taste is not usually what you would find in an NBA locker room, and that's something that makes him so unique. And the thing that I love about Jared is that he's just so comfortable in his own skin, and he doesn't care what anybody thinks about the things that he likes. He likes what he likes, and he's going to continue to do those things off the court, like right around Christmas time, right around Thanksgiving. He went to his buddy's house and he played Guitar Hero. Like, that's Jared Allen. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to Paris and these guys are looking forward to visiting some of these incredible places. The Louvre and some of these other ones that I can't even pronounce. And they're looking forward to doing some shopping. And they're looking forward to eating some unbelievable meals. And Jared's excited about reading a book. Like, he's excited to go into a very, very old library to be able to get like a vintage book. That's what appeals to him. So I would say he stands out more than anybody else from that standpoint. Yeah, and Donovan Mitchell has even mentioned that Jared Allen be building computers and things of that nature. Like he takes computers apart just to rebuild them. That's what he does. And he enjoys doing it. And one of the first things that he bought when he got his brand new contract a couple of summers ago, he bought a 3D printer so that he could make himself Star Wars masks and helmets. I didn't know that. that. That's hilarious, but that's phenomenal. That's awesome. He tailors his own pants. Like The list of things that make him so unique is very, very long. He's a special, special guy. One of one is the only way I can describe that because you you could probably write a laundry list of the things that he's capable of doing and enjoys just trying to figure out because I think that's another thing about Jared Allen is like he's going to figure it out. If there's an issue, if there's something that he wants to like learn more about, he's going to figure it out. He's going to find a way to do that. He is unapologetically himself. And that's what the Cavs need. And I feel like that's a characteristic for a lot of the players, just being unapologetically themselves. Like I asked Max Struess earlier today about, like, has the Cavs org and the players around him kind of helped him come into his personality or bring his personality out? And he was like, well, winning games does that because, you know, it's fun to win. So, yeah. Next question from Brandon Zimmerman in Charlotte, North Carolina. As Mobley and Garland minutes ramp up, it appears we don't have enough minutes to go around. In order to keep people sharp, would JB ever consider alternating rotating games between guys like Merrill and Dean instead of trying to split time between them? Okay, I'm going to say that, again, this is really based on the matchups and what the defense of the opposing team is throwing at them and what the size of the other team is. Because if there's a big 
Like you saw Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade were once again the first two people off the bench tonight. Donovan Mitchell even mentioned that Isaac Okoro now should be considered in the Sixth Man of the Year award. I don't know how he would do that when he's played so many minutes as a starter, but I think you have to really look at the matchups. And it's not just, it's not as easy as saying you're just going to flip minutes to make sure people get enough time like it's about who they're guarding who they're gonna be guarded by like Dean Wade tonight was in the game having time guarding DeMontis Sabonis like that's something that you have to look for Sam Merrill isn't playing those positions the thing with Dean Wade is because he's becoming a better shooter that elevates the Cavs because he can also guard two through five when it comes to the defensive end Sam Merrill can guard probably one through three at max. The other thing it comes down to, Ethan, is just who's playing well. And if these guys are going to get opportunities in the first half of a game and try and get into a rhythm, and JB is taking a look at what works, what doesn't work in that particular matchup against that particular opponent, sure, the opponent can adjust. They can change up their schemes in the second half and stuff like that. But it gives JB a little bit of a period to evaluate how those guys perform in that particular matchup. And if they're playing well in the first half, chances are they're going to get a longer opportunity in the second half. But like, I just think people have to understand that baked into a role for Sam Merrill, for George Niang, for Dean Wade, for these guys who are not Donovan Mitchell, who are not Jared Allen, who are not Evan Mobley, all of those guys, matchup doesn't matter. All of those guys are going to get their minutes regardless of what happens because they're so critical to the Cavs' success. Max Struess, the same kind of way. For Sam Merrill, it's going to be about the other team. J.B. Bickerstaff did not want to play Sam Merrill in that game against the Clippers because he thought the length and the athleticism and the quickness of the Clippers on the perimeter was something that was going to bother Sam and kind of like take him out of his rhythm. So it seems like there's a style of team that JB just isn't as comfortable with when it comes to Sam. And the same thing goes for Dean Wade. And the same thing goes maybe for Isaac Okoro, depending on how the defense is going to play Isaac. Like in a first half, if teams are just going to completely ignore Isaac and he's not making his shots consistently from the perimeter or he's not taking those shots with confidence, then maybe those minutes go to somebody else like Sam Merrill in the second half. So it just think it's going to be situational. I think it's going to be about game flow. I think it's going to be about matchup. I think it's going to be about feel. And I think it's going to be about like what's needed on any given night. And I think it's just up to Dean Wade and Sam Merrill and some of these other guys toward the end of the rotation to have an understanding of that. All right, Chris, we're going to take a quick break, but I got to put our subscribers on to something new. For our listeners, if you like food and drinks, and who doesn't, Cleveland.com is breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in the greater Cleveland area. The hosts talk about the latest foodie happenings, joined by the most in-the-know experts in town. It's called Dine, Drink, CLE, and you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen, quench your thirst, and feed that appetite. When we come back, we got a few more questions from our subtexters. But before then, if you want to leave your questions next week for our next Tuesday Hey Chris episode, become a Cavs Insider and interact with me and Chris by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you. 
that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from Chris and myself. We'll be right back. All right, we got a couple more questions to get through, Chris. Another one from Charlotte, North Carolina. Brandon, he says, hey, Chris, do the Cavs look at it as a priority to upgrade on the wing? We mentioned this earlier, so I don't want Chris to have to go into it again. It's not a priority at the moment. It's just the best option that they would be going for if they decided to go for somebody before the trade deadline. We understand how great the Cavs are playing right now and how much they have meant to each other and what the bond that they've been able to create with each other. So is a 3D wing that can play on both sides of the ball important? Yes. Do they have players that can do that at the moment and are continuously upgrading? Like we saw seven different players on the Cavs tonight make two or more three-pointers and held the Sacramento Kings to under 115 points. Yes. Both of those things are incredibly important to notice, especially on a Kings team that has been moving ferociously on the offensive end and moves at a fast pace. And they also dropped 130 points on the Cavs in their last meeting. So has the Cavs been able to upgrade already on the wing? Yes. Has that happened inside the players that the Cavs already have? Also, yes. Yeah, I just think if you look at the trade deadline, there are certain teams, Ethan, that you can focus on and say they need to make a move. And if they don't make a move, that can change the trajectory of their season. That is going to determine how far they can go, whether they make the playoffs, whatever the case may be for that particular team. And there are a handful of them. I think Philadelphia needs to make a move. Look, they're not going to replace Joel Embiid. Everybody understands that. But they're going to have to find a little extra offensive firepower to see if they can weather the storm and get to the playoffs. And then if they bring Embiid back and they're like the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference in the playoffs, nobody's going to want to play against them. But they need help. Like it can't all be Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris. So if the 76ers make a move for, say, Jordan Clarkson, a microwave scorer like that, that kind of changes the view of them. That kind of changes their outlook. That kind of changes how competitive they can be potentially in a playoff series. And then you can look at the Los Angeles Lakers. Like they are desperate to make some kind of move to get LeBron back in their good graces. There are other teams around the NBA that you can look at and say, okay, this team has to make a move if they're going to take the next step. I just don't think the Cavs are one of them, right? Like the Cavs fate for the remainder of the season to me is not determined by what they do at the trade deadline. It won't change how I feel about the Cavs and their chances of getting out of the first round of the playoffs if they don't make a move. I still think they're a very, very good team. They're a very deep team. They've overcome a lot. They've got a really favorable schedule the rest of the way. And I think since going out this offseason and addressing a lot of their needs, including shooting and floor spacing, like I have felt all along that they're better equipped to get out of the first round of the playoffs with this particular roster. And my view of them and their chances in a playoff series are not going to be significantly impacted by what happens at the trade deadline. In part, Ethan, because like there aren't a lot of needle movers left. When it comes to this market, 
it is a very, very underwhelming crop of players that are currently available in the trade market. Yeah, Chris. And we've got a lot of trade deadline questions, but this one actually goes a little bit further, saying that if they do not trade Isaac Okoro, what are his thoughts and the team's thoughts regarding restricted free agency? This question comes from Dave from Tucson, and he says, it would seem like accepting the qualifying offer makes him likely to be bundled with another salary, i.e. Karras for a $25 million to a year player at next year's deadline. Right, so that's the tricky thing when it comes to Isaac. And that's the name to watch. And we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. Not only is he valuable around the NBA because of his age, because of his upside, and because maybe teams look at it and say, if we get him into a bigger role on the offensive end, maybe he can blossom in our system where he's not kind of like buried on the touch chart or the usage rate chart. The other thing is like the Cavs do have to be cognizant of their salary cap situation, and not just for the remainder of this season, but for next season as well. They have to make a determination about whether they're willing to go into luxury tax. Because of Isaac's contract situation, he can be a restricted free agent next offseason. The Cavs would have to offer him a qualifying offer. It's around 10 or $11 million per year. And then they would have to hope that no team would be willing to make him a significant contract offer that they would be queasy about matching, or they would have to just work out some kind of like sign and trade or some kind of compensation so that they don't just lose him for nothing. But because like he is going into restricted free agency and there's a belief around the NBA that he's probably going to get offered by some team this offseason more than what his qualifying offer would be, and maybe a number that the Cavs wouldn't be comfortable going to, It's one of the reasons why I continue to hear from my sources around the NBA that if the Cavs make a move, there's a chance that Isaac would be the one that goes up. Now, like if the Cavs even considered that, they would have to get somebody back that can obviously fill the same kind of role that Isaac has on this team. A rugged defense first guy on the wing, somebody who is going to create havoc on ball as a defender. But like the odds of finding a guy like that who makes the same kind of salary as Isaac that doesn't make you take a step back as an organization for this season, man, it's it's really hard for the Cavs to potentially thread that needle. And I'm just going to throw something out, and I don't want people to aggregate this or anything along those lines because I haven't gotten this from a source. It's just me speculating. Like if, and, and the price for this particular player at the trade market is very, very high, and the Cavs might not have enough to get him. And I think there are going to be a lot of competitors around the NBA that want him. But Alex Caruso for the Chicago Bulls, for example, is somebody who does a lot of the same things that Isaac does on the defensive end of the floor. He's that kind of tenacious defender. He's also a little bit better of an offensive player, and he's a more reliable outside shooter. And Caruso is a guy that the Cavs had interest in a couple of years ago when he left the Los Angeles Lakers and he ultimately joined the Chicago Bulls. Now, Caruso is a guy who has a contract salary number that is very similar to Isaac this year. And next year, it's not like his contract is set to go up the way that Isaac's could. Like right now, Isaac is making around seven to eight million dollars for this season. But 
projecting him forward, you're probably talking about somebody who's going to make in the range of 13 to 16 million annually. And I don't know if the Cavs are willing to go to that number for Isaac. So Caruso is somebody whose contract is going to stay the same for the remainder of this year and next year. So it's not something that maybe the Cavs would get into a salary cap situation that they would be uncomfortable with. And again, like I don't know that the Cavs have enough to get somebody like Caruso, who is very, very coveted, and the Bulls are asking a lot for him. But the framework of Isaac Okoro, Alex Caruso, from the Cavs standpoint, makes a lot of sense because you don't feel like you're losing much in terms of the caliber of player that you're acquiring. And you don't have the same kind of salary cap limitations moving forward because of that. So I'm only going to say, just once, the framework of Isaac Okoro, Alex Caruso, I think would be appealing to the Caps. All right, Chris, last question of the podcast. And it's another trade deadline question, but we're going to end with it because it's a little bit different. From Evan from Lindhurst, he says, with Tristan out, and Donovan Mitchell getting popped in the mouth with an elbow in one of the recent games, do the Cavs need to trade for enforcer at the deadline? I don't think so. One, because you have enforcers in different ways. Like, nobody was going to let anything really happen to Donovan Mitchell. One, he's the star of the team. Two, Donovan got up and defended himself. So, that's the other thing. Like, There are enforcers, and then there are people that know how to handle situations when right is wrong. Donovan has been very clear with situations with Dylan Brooks, with situations like the one that happened recently, that if you touch him, he's going to touch you. Sometimes that's just something that needs to be said. What's understood doesn't need to be said sometimes, but sometimes words need actions as well. And look at who the guy was that was the closest to that quote-unquote skirmish. It was Max Struess. Like Max Struess is one of the league leaders and technicals. He's a very feisty guy. He's a very competitive guy. He plays with an edge. He's got some enforcer-level stuff to him. And the same thing when it comes to George Niang. And here's the other thing, Ethan. Tristan Thompson's only going to be out until mid-March. So if you're talking about wanting some toughness, wanting a bit of an enforcer, you want that for a playoff series, right? whether it's a series against the Pacers, the 76ers, the Knicks, whoever it is, you want some kind of playoff level toughness. Well, Tristan Thompson's going to be back in time for the playoffs. So it's not a situation where he's missing the remainder of the season and all of the playoffs, or he's got a debilitating injury that the Cavs have to replace because he's not going to be with them for the duration of this season. He's coming back in mid-March, and I don't think that they feel any kind of desperate need to replace him both on the court or off the court. All right, guys, with that being said, I think we've touched on almost every trade topic possible in today's podcast, and that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and me by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up 
stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from me and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.